peace of Christ be with you. Let us take three deep breaths that our awareness might be open to the living presence of the Spirit among us right now. Friends near and far, let us worship in beloved community. Will you join me in the call to worship? Gather us into your loving presence. Center us in your life-giving way. Lead us into expansive consciousness. Realign our priorities as we worship seeking truth. Let us pray. God, we have been taught to look out only for ourselves, but we are not enough to provide for ourselves. We are taught to fear our neighbors, defeat our rivals, and hate our enemies. But you have a different way of being in relationship in mind. We are taught that you are but another path to our success and achievement. Clear our hearts of our own smaller agendas. Dispel us of misguided and selfish notions. Open us to true eternal wisdom and the life through the way of Christ, through the path to the cross and the empty tomb. Amen. Our prayers continue in quiet. Amen. Friends, know that even when we may have misguided or selfish notions, God continues to love us abundantly. In Christ, we are forgiven. We are made new. We are set free. Thanks be to God. Amen. As we come to our time of joys and concerns this morning, we are reminded how important it is to be in prayer for and with one another. If you have a joy or a concern and you're watching with us on Facebook, go ahead and type that right into the comments section. If you're joining us a different way, feel free to reach out to us at the church office so we can be in prayer together. Will you join me now in prayer? Loving God, you call us to turn away from our own insular interests in order to follow you. This can be a new way of thinking and of living for many of us. So help us to open our minds and to open our hearts to your ever-present spirit, 
your spirit that is always moving within and around us. Open us to your call, open us to your love, that our lives may be lived in service of you. And hear us now, O oh God, as together we pray the prayer Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. None of you watching, either young people or 
older people, I'm sure none of you have ever complained, right? Nah, no one ever complains. So for our time of discovery today, I want to introduce to you what a little complaining might look like, right? Maybe sometimes when you're feeling a little hungry, it just kind of comes out, ah, I'm so hungry. Mom, what's for dinner? Can I have dinner now? I need dinner now. Or maybe when you're on a road trip, how much longer? Oh, this is so far. Oh, I want to get there now. That's complaining. I'm sure none of you know about that, right? Now often, all joking aside, we do complain. Maybe not often, but it comes out of us all the time, right? And sometimes the people we're complaining to don't really want to hear it. Hmm. Now, complaining's not often the best way to get our point across. However, there's a story in scripture of the Israelites who were making the move from Egypt to the promised land and they had a lot of complaining. It was a hard journey. They were hungry. They were wondering if they were ever going to get there. They were wondering why they were making this journey in the first place. And there was a lot of complaining. Now, if I had been the recipient of this complaining, I probably would have just said something like, shush, be quiet, but not God. No, God heard this complaining. God listened to the complaining. And then God provided for the people in some really surprising ways. Now, this is not an invitation to just start complaining all the time, but it is a reminder that God loves us always. God loves us when we're at our best. God loves us when we're perhaps not at our best. God loves us unconditionally. So every now and then, if you have a complaint for God, go ahead and share it with God. God can take it and God will love us anyway. Go now in peace, go now in peace. May the love of God surround you everywhere, everywhere you may go. Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew's Gospel, the 16th chapter, verses 24 to 26. Listen for what the Spirit is saying to us right here and right now. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? This is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. We are in the middle, as many of you know, of a sermon series called So-Called Christian Values, in which we examine whether what we've been taught the Christian faith is about is truly the heart of the gospel. And I recognize that such a sermon series, such a set of questions raised by these sermons, can take a toll being shaken from the foundations of one's faith, perhaps, that can take a toll. And so 
I honor you for taking this journey, for opening your heart, and for opening your mind. These little explorations may indeed shake you up a little, but if you hang in there, I think you'll also find that they grant a degree of freedom. Well, Jesus said, for those who want to follow me, let them take up their cross. Okay, that part may not feel so freeing yet. I mean, that's an awfully hard sell, don't you think? I mean, maybe if you have some Buddhist sensibilities, the idea of denying self may already start to show a window of promise for you. But for many, that seems like an awfully tough message. I mean, that will really pack them into the church, Jesus, especially coming off a year when people have gotten very used to staying in their pajamas on Sunday mornings or perhaps putting on their hiking shoes. Well, indeed, many churches have not only glossed over this teaching of Jesus, but they've actually gone to such a degree as to preach the opposite of it. In fact, there's a term for it. In religious circles, it's called the prosperity gospel. And what the prosperity gospel says, in effect, is if you are faithful, if you believe in this certain way, you will be rewarded with success, with material wealth. In fact, your material success is a reflection of how faithful you are, given to you by God, which is awfully convenient then for the pastors who spend lavishly, earn lavishly. You can see the danger of that feedback loop for them and for any who buy into this. My wealth is not a departure from Jesus's teachings. It's a fulfillment of my love for him. Of course, this is a perversion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A twisting of the fact that he did, in fact, promise or offer promise, excuse me, for those who followed him. But that was always couched, that was always anchored in commandments to love neighbor, to care for others, to be, quite frankly, selfless. As Daniel Berrigan put it, Jesuit priest and famous activist, if you want to follow Jesus, you better look good on wood. If you want to follow Jesus, you better look good on wood. It's not about gold, folks, because discipleship of the true Jesus always invariably leads to the cross. Now, are you feeling let down, perhaps, or brought down by this sermon series? I mean, first, I told you that it's not so simple as telling everybody all the time they have to forgive, forgive, forgive. And then I talked about that perhaps being non-controversial nice is not the highest standard of the Christian faith. Perhaps there are things more important. And now I'm telling you that this isn't going to bring you success, following Jesus, being part of this faith. It might even lead to your own death. But remember, remember we discovered something good and positive about returning to victims, the power to choose 
when and how to forgive. And the importance of the community coming around an incident of violence or wounding and holding the offender accountable, which might make it easier for the victim to forgive. And remember, in rethinking a sole allegiance to being non-controversially nice, we find some real promise to make things tangibly better for whole groups of people. And similarly, what I will say to you is that Jesus' invitation to his followers to take up their cross doesn't have to be a killer of a message. No pun intended. In fact, there may be some life to be gained. There may be some life to be gained by letting go of what we think we're supposed to be after in this life. The success that we're told we're supposed to have and grope for with every fiber of our being. How many people do you know who are trapped by their own success or by their in insatiable, unquenchable, thirst, hunger, reaching for success that they'll never truly have. How many of us are trapped in that way? Now, this is an extraordinarily countercultural message because we're told all the time from uh, as young as we can remember that our life is about achieving our success, getting as much as we can for ourselves Actually, getting as much as we can so we can buy things that will make us happy and fulfilled. I heard an ad the other day, and the line went, Your self-care routine should make you feel amazing. The ad was for razors. I mean, this was not, this was not taking the rest you need, occasionally taking a break, having some balance in your life. That's not the self-care. It was about shaving. I'd only known that's all it took to be amazing, to feel amazing. In a TED talk, not long before he died, I think, the great British rabbi Jonathan Sachs said this. He said, the simplest way to learn about a society, a culture, an age, is to ask the following, what do the people worship? Not what do they say they worship, mind you, but what do they truly worship as borne out by where they give all their attention. He then went on to posit what a future anthropologist will say about us one day. And he concluded that that anthropologist, having looked at all the books that fill our shelves in addition to all the other things that might give us away for who we are, that that anthropologist will conclude that what we worship is the self. Self-help, self-esteem, self-realization. He said, quote, they'll look at the way we talk about morality as being true to one's self, the way we talk about politics as a matter of individual rights. And they'll look at all this wonderful new religious ritual we created. You know the one, he says, the selfie where we go around to all manner of places and take pictures of ourselves. Now, you might detect some snark in my voice, but Sachs does not offer a, 
a wholesale condemnation of this development. He says, in fact, this is great. It's liberating. It's empowering. But he also says this, with all our obsessions with ourselves, that we have in so many words lost the art of we. The topic of the TED Talk, which this anecdote comes from, is facing the future without fear. And what Sachs says, if you want to safeguard the future you, the best way to do it is to strengthen the future us. If you want to strengthen and safeguard the future you, you strengthen the future us in three dimensions. The us of relationships, the us of identity, and the us of responsibility. Outward facing values. Identity may be seeming personal, but also being shared, who we are. And he talks about how Judaism has been able to survive such awful things because they remind themselves who they are as a people so often. Now, Sachs just doesn't, doesn't just preach to his audience, talk to those in attendance. He offers testimony from his own life. And he recalls a time when in his own words, he was self-obsessed and thoroughly unpleasant to know. And then he met someone who was the opposite, outward turned. They were radiant, he says, emanated joy, just beaming coming out of them. But he was wise enough and lucky enough, fortunate enough perhaps, to marry her and spend his entire rest of his life with her, raising a wonderful family. We think pursuing ourselves and our own gratification will somehow fill us up, but it's models like that and moments like that that remind us it's when we get outside ourselves and seek to offer others a bit of a gift, bless the community perhaps, then we start to really feel alive and really get filled up with something substantive. Remember, Jesus didn't just say, take up your cross, deny yourself. He said, when you do so, when you lose your life, your obsession with yourself, for the sake of me, for the sake of my way, the way, when you give up your life, one version of your life for that life, you will find life. It's not all about loss. It's not only about emptiness. It's emptiness followed by fulfillment. Now make no mistakes, what Jesus asks us to do is hard. And in fact, one of the mistakes we make is to try to just make it easy and only go toward what is easy. But what people truly want isn't easy. What people want is something worthwhile, something authentic. And they're willing to do hard things in order to get it. Author of Untamed, Glennon Doyle, writes that she takes up as her mantra the phrase, we can do hard things. Not only can we do hard things, but we must do hard things. In fact, we want to do hard things because we know that at the end of hard things comes something so often that is worthwhile. 
But again, in so many realms, in perhaps particularly in the Christian, in the spiritual, in the religious realm, we try to make it easy. But in doing so, we so cheapen it that it's not worthwhile. What Bonhoeffer called so many years ago, cheap grace. But when Shane Claiborne diagnoses the state of the church today, he says this. We're not losing young people because we've made the gospel too hard. We're losing them because we've made the gospel too easy. They see it. They see in our cheapening of it that it's not, it must not be worthwhile. Now, his point is not to make it artificially hard, to make suffering the point of all of it, but to make it authentically meaningful and worth the sacrifice and the commitment it demands. Every other worthy pursuit in our lives demands something of us. Why would we not expect our faith to do so as well? Well, maybe this is why Jesus isn't nearly as keen on recruiting as modern churches are, it seems. In fact, Jeff Shankle, our wonderful youth ministries director here, has said more than once, and it stuck with me from the first time, that whenever the crowds start to grow around Jesus and it's starting to get popular, Jesus makes it harder to follow him. As if intuitively weeding out those who really are doing this in search of an easy path, who aren't really willing to put in the difficult work it takes. It's hard. It's crucifyingly hard. And yet it is totally worth it. It's not only right, it is fulfilling. Lose your life and gain it. Rob Schenk converted to evangelical Christianity as a young man, gave his life to Jesus. And he became a leader after not a lot of time in many of the movements associated with evangelical Christianity, a leader in the anti-abortion movement for years, rising to a significant place of power in the religious right. He went from Bible college to finding himself on private jet jets, granted all kinds of access in Washington, D.C., admission into expensive clubs in the innermost circles. Success. Made it. And then, over a number of years, gradually, perhaps, it all started to implode around a hollow center. Because over time, he realized it did, simply didn't square with the Jesus that he'd given his life to so long ago. He details this in a recent blog post, a remarkable writing entitled, Why I May Quit Evangelicalism. Now, in it, he points out the kind of hypocrisy you might imagine. And oh, what a model it is for all of us to turn that same critical eye onto our own commitments, perhaps our own movement. Reverend Schenk, not just Rob Schenk, but Reverend Rob Schenk's outspokenness, whether it was on gun violence prevention or affirmation of his gay colleagues or critiquing the dangers of political idolatry, 
All of these things have cost him mightily. It's utterly changed his status among his peers. He doesn't have the same access he once did, and I'm quite sure he's received more than his share of hate mail as a response. Perhaps the worst of it, he's been relegated to the edges of relevance. That remarkable blog post I just mentioned when last I looked at it had been read 27 times. The edge, of course. The edge, of course, is where Jesus is so often found. Then and now. And it is there that Schenck has started to recover and rediscover his path, his path of discipleship, which has been plenty hard. In the blog post, he remembers being in Bible college in 1974. And at one point, he came across the college president sweeping the floors of the administrative building. I don't mean like walking through the building doing a sweep. I mean sweeping the floors. And Schenck asked him, what was he doing? He was the president. And the president responded, I'm trying to show you what ministry is about. This is the faith to which Schenck has returned. And he reflects in that post, quote, after recently walking away from the ministry highlight, the memories of a once simpler and authentic servanthood came roaring back to me. And it didn't carry with it a warning sticker reading, I'm evangelical and I vote. Instead, that earlier faith instructed me to proclaim, here I am, Lord. Send me. That's his story. Did you catch what was blowing through it, even in the midst of the suffering of his own crucifixion, you might say? It wasn't death only. It was freedom. Freedom. Freedom from all that he was expected to be and thought he was supposed to be. And freedom to become the person Christ was calling him to be. The Christ to whom he had given his life so many years ago. And when you realize that following Jesus Christ is about discovering the best gift you have. And learning to share it with the world. Then you find something much better than success. Amen. As we move deeper into the springtime, we have just more and more events and activities happening here in the life of the church. And I do encourage you to get involved in the ways that make sense for you. We still have many things happening virtually. We have an increasing number of things happening in person. And I just invite you to take advantage of all that is going on in the life of the church. I invite you to check out the events calendar on our website, to take a look at the weekly e-news, to see all that is happening.
To highlight just a few things for you, our Congregational Life Commission is uh, going to be sponsoring some small group picnics in late May and early June. They're looking for hosts for those picnics right now. If you have a nice outdoor area at your home or perhaps want to host at a local park, uh, people will bring their own food and beverage and it will be just a wonderful time for people to renew old friendships, to meet new people. If you're interested in hosting, please see Randy Heiser. Our hiking group has been taking a little break during the pandemic, but they are ready to get going again. Uh, we have hikes happening the second and fourth Fridays of every month. There's a sign-up genius that comes out a few days before each hike with details. If you're not on that sign-up genius list and you would like to be, please see Judy Sachs. Finally, this coming Wednesday, uh, Mary Kay Sweeney, who is the executive director of Homeward Bound of Marin, is going to be with us on Zoom. Again, that's this Wednesday at 5 p.m. She's going to be talking specifically about the newly renovated Mill Street Shelter. Now, our church has been a sponsor of a variety of Homeward Bound of Marin programs, including bringing monthly meals to Mill Street. So she's gonna let us know about the status of that shelter and give us some ideas for how we can continue to support Homeward Bound of Marin. So I hope you'll join us for that. Finally, as always, we thank you for your generosity. During these difficult times, you have continued to support the church and we thank you. Just a reminder of how you can share your offerings and your pledges. You can mail a check into the church office. You can go to our Give page on our website. You can text to give. And again, thank you. And now I invite us to join together in our closing hymn. Number 450, Be Thou My Vision.
and now receive this benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God who is Father and Mother of us all, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and every day. Amen.
Thank you.